You have arrived at your destination, 15 Credibility Street. This is 15 Credibility Street. I'm Sharon Hill. Welcome to episode 43's 15 Credibility Street. Thanks for joining us. I'm Sharon. And I'm Torgan. And uh, today is, we're going to talk about Australia. Good day, mate. <laughs> crikey. <laughs> no worries. No, they, they don't really say crikey. I didn't hear anybody say crikey. I heard them say good day and they say righto a lot. Righto. Righto. Well, I, I thought that was more like... British, like there was, oh, yeah. there was radio, this, yeah, there was this guy that. next to me and on the plane, and he was talking to this, the flight attendant, and he kept saying right out, but they're just so happy, they're just such a happy country, and so helpful, and so easygoing and pleasant, um, and I probably couldn't say the same for myself because I was pretty stressed when I got there because let's just well, get I, this right I, now. I heard that everything went all, went off without a hitch. Oh, right. <laughs> well, the hitch is, okay. Um, it, it did. It started out great. You know, I had the whole plane road to myself. So I was able to sleep on the 14-hour flight to get there across the Pacific. And it's dark, so everyone's asleep, and it was great. So I actually got some sleep, and I, when I got there, I didn't feel bad at all. Except the first um, text message I got when I got off the plane was that the paranormal conference I was there for, Paracon, had been canceled. While I was in the air, they had canceled it. Now, this is something you do not do. <laughs> You do not ever do this. It is extremely unprofessional. And you have just screwed not only your international guests who have come a very long way, but also the people who have bought tickets and maybe have planned to at least come a reasonable distance. They've maybe made travel arrangements and, and, and hotel reservations and taken time off of work and made all the arrangements to do this travel. And you have just screwed them. So I didn't have time to be furious at the moment because I was like, what's going to happen now? Luckily, um, the, the organizer still picked me up at the airport, along with another woman who was there from California, Malia. And uh, he began to drive us out of Sydney, an hour out of Sydney into what, you know, some people might call the bush, <laughs> into a place called Wallachia. And it was lovely. And it was a spiritualist retreat where we were going to do an alternative event that had been rescheduled because they had been part of the, the Paracon um, events. And they decided that they were going to take control over this uh, fiasco that had happened. Uh, so we were shuttled out to this house and Malia and I decided, yeah, we couldn't stay here. We were out in the middle of nowhere, pretty much. We didn't have any place to eat. We just had like a room and, you know, we're both pretty spoiled. We like our hotel rooms and a bit of comfort. Didn't know the people, 
didn't know what was going to happen the next day or Saturday um, for the alternative event. So we had uh, the same guy after after a very nice lunch and a very nice meetup with these spirituals people who were absolutely wonderful. Like I said, everybody there was wonderful. But it would have been difficult to stay in a house where they were talking about doing you know, seances and medium, physical mediumship and stuff like that. So we didn't really feel comfortable there. So we went into Sydney and uh, thank you to uh, phone apps, you know, Hotel Tonight phone app that gets us a reasonable room, very nice room in Sydney. We both got a room in the same hotel and we piled around for a couple days in Sydney. But the reason why the conference was canceled was that uh, they didn't have enough money to pay the venue, which is not something you want to discover at the last minute. Now, uh, when you're organizing an event and you have to rent space to hold your event, I always thought that you had to pay that stuff in full fairly well in advance. Apparently, for some venues, you could put down the the down payment, and then your final payment is due that forty eight hours or so before the event, or or three days, or whatever the a week, whatever the arrangement is. It probably varies. Um, this is a a small organization that was running this. They they did not really expect, from what I had heard in the past, more than one hundred and fifty to two hundred attendees, and the ticket prices were not that high. So struck me as odd right from the beginning how they could afford to bring over four international guests as well as pay the people and pay for the venue and pay for our hotel accommodations and some meals, etc. It just didn't seem to add up. But I had made sure, is there anything wrong? You know, before I left, is there anything wrong? No, everything's fine. Everything is not fine. And uh, the entire paranormal community in Australia probably took a hit for this because there will not be another one of these conferences. This is the second year it's been canceled. The first year it was canceled far in advance. Uh, this year but it was canceled. For the same reasons? Um, that they weren't doing the ticket sales that they expected. Right. Uh, okay. So yeah, this was a disaster. Really, you could have seen it coming a mile away. Uh, but, you know, I, I trusted that everything was going to go as planned and I my plane ticket was paid for. But when I got there, I had to shell out several hundred dollars extra for costs that I didn't anticipate. I'm going to try to get some money back from this, but I'd rather see the people who actually paid for tickets and didn't get anything to get their money back first. So they said that that's in process. I hope it works out, but it was just kind of a disaster. And it we were pretty tired and we were a bit confused and rather stressed. And, you know, Malia and I became pretty good friends because we needed to rely on each other to, to, to help us get through this one, you know, difficult moment where we were finally got to our hotel rooms and could relax for a minute. And, um, but it, it did work out. She and I had a, a very nice time sightseeing in Sydney and, uh, for, for two days we had meals together and, and, um, I got to know her pretty well and she does a, uh, paranormal themed YouTube show called Macabre Mondays, and she just released the first one in, uh, on her trip to Australia and some of the places we went together. 
And uh, it was it was really cool. She's very artistic and it was informative and lots of pictures and videos. So if you want to check that out, you can see some of the things we did those first two days. And she went different places than I did. Uh, I went to the zoo. <laughs> I went to both zoos because I, I love the animals. So I got to see, I went to the zoo in Melbourne too. So I got to see the typical Did you hold animals. a wombat? No, they were all sleeping and they don't let you actually hold the animals. People think that you can hold the koalas and you could hold the kangaroos and stuff. They don't actually let you hold them. Although... The emu will try to uh, touch you. <laughs> the big emu, the big you know, ostrich-sized bird comes up behind you and like taps you on the shoulder. And that that, was, that, that's the scary. bird, not the disenfranchised teens. It's the emos. No, no. E- <sighs> e- wrong vowel. Emus. <laughs> emus. But uh, when I was in Sydney, this is close to 10 years ago now, but um, – we we were actually allowed to hold the wombat. Oh wow! No, they were all sleeping. Oh bummer. They were very cute. Uh, the the lady who was right after me in the queue, she got peed on by the <laughs> wombat. So I, I'm I'm glad that I went before her. Well, I was just amazed at the zoos. They were they were extremely beautiful, and I got to see basically all the. Uh, iconic Australian animals, koalas, kangaroos. I even saw kangaroos in the wild, spotted one. Um, the Did you go to a cemetery like I told you to? We went to Waverly Cemetery, yes. Did you see kangaroos there? No. Why would I see kangaroos at the cemetery? Because that's where you'll find them. Because they go to the cemeteries to eat the flowers off oh. the graves. Oh, well, that would have made sense, except the cemetery that we went to is on Bondi Beach or between Bondi Beach and Coogee Beach. And it was quite crowded and it's a very crowded cemetery. There were lots of flowers. There's like things grow on the graves like rosemary and lavender. So, yeah, there were lots of cool flowers on the graves, but it was very crowded. It was very metropolitan. It was a city. So the the, the kangaroo that I saw it was probably a wallaby. It wasn't a full size kangaroo was off on a small country road near a chapel. It was out in the field just lying there. And I spotted it. It's like, there's there's one lying right there. And they couldn't really believe that I had spotted one out in the middle of nowhere. But it's like a deer. You know, you, you look for deer and you see them all over the place. They, here, but there, there's kangaroos. So I also got to see the Tasmanian devils and the platypus, which was my absolute favorite. And I got to see flying foxes. In the wild, uh, near the Botanical Gardens in Sydney at night. And that was amazing because I love flying foxes. And the kookaburras and the wild birds there are amazing. The cockatoos and the trees, they're loud, they're obnoxious. But the bush turkeys, they're they're amazing. So that was really cool. And I also went to um, Manly, which I took the ferry over from Sydney to Manly, which is the location of the quarantine station which was where they used to keep people who were sick, who tried to immigrate to Australia. And if you had a sign of illness, they would send you to Manly, the quarantine station, and keep you there for 40 days. So um, thanks to uh, Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics, he picked me up there in Manly, showed me around, and uh, we had a nice dinner, and we went on a ghost tour of Q Station. And it was terrible. (laughs) Big surprise. No, Big surprise. <laughs> actually, it's not that hard to do a good ghost tour. It really is not that hard. You just tell good stories and 
this one was not even good stories. The guy did not have any hint of, uh, you know, like you start with a ghost tour and people say, and people will say, well, I understand you not all of you believe this. He was belief all in. No, no, no question. This is what ghosts are. They take energy from your batteries. They take energy from the air. Every breeze you feel is a ghost. Every strange feeling you get is a ghost. Everything weird is a ghost. It was just a total priming exercise. Everything weird that happens to you is a ghost. So it was that bad. And he primed us like crazy. And we were in the dark and we scared each other silly. For, for, not me because I'm not really scared about them. I'm not really scared of this stuff. But the other people who were there were obviously very invested in this belief and they scared themselves crapless. I mean, they were they were really, really frightened. So Q Station is not an active station anymore. It's a resort. Oh. It's where I should have stayed. Had oh. my that's where the conference was scheduled to take place, and I'm almost glad I didn't because it it's, it again it is really out there, it's kind of isolated, but uh, it's interesting. The history is very interesting, and the buildings are nicely renovated, and it's a great location if you're looking at the scenery and and you know you're a bit away from the city. So, other than that, the ghost tour was terrible. No, it could be we just had a guide that wasn't all that. Wonderful. But I was really, really annoyed with the guide. And we had to walk a lot, which was fine, but it was cold. It was very cold there because it was it's winter in Australia right now. Sure. So, yeah, I would not recommend that ghost tour. I'm sure there are better ones if you like that sort of thing. Um, we ended up going into the Rocks, which is the more historic section of Sydney, which is also extremely interesting. And they, they have their own ghost stories, their own ghost tours, I believe. Um, Malia went to some older places as well, the cathedral and, and, and the barracks and the, uh, the women's orphanage and things like that. So, uh, there's lots of historical things to see in Australia, which, but it's weird because, you know, in America, things are old if they're in the 16 or 1700s, they're really old for you. They're, it's like, you laugh at us, right? You Europeans laugh at us Americans because nothing we have is very old. Australia, absolutely nothing is old but the rocks. Everything yeah, well, is we like, have like old castles that are like a thousand, right. fifteen hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing so. old in Australia is the actual geology. Is all the rocks are very, very old. You could tell the mountains are really, really old. They're all worn down. But the history is not. I'm guessing there's not a lot of them left, but like the old all the old Aboriginal settlements but i like they are probably very few yeah and they're not yeah they're not in the cities where i was they're probably more out in the uh the outback there which i didn't get to you know australia is a big country but uh, i did go to melbourne also i went to oh what a what a nice town for bookshops went to a couple bookshops there in big and books which has now i have a question okay did they take their name from the simpsons it's quite possible they are that witty. Because uh, Simpsons uh, the, had the word ambigan, which is not really a word, and cromulent. I would bet that that's probably where they got it from because they had a whole wall just full of books on atheism and, and skepticism and science and philosophy and mathematics and physics and 
you, you, you know, this this is the kind of bookshop it is. It's a very in, intellectual, science based, small and and lovely bookshop. And I really enjoyed talking to the owners that were there. You know, for for balance, I went to the haunted bookshop, which is on a few like half a mile away. Went in there, talked to that owner, Drew, and he was telling me about all the paranormal things. And I bought a book there, too. So there's a lot of, uh, he had a whole wall of tarot card kits and lots of satanic jewelry and, and uh, lots of books on true crime. So, that again, that was also a very charming place. If you like that sort of thing, I found it charming. I thought it was interesting. And I bought a book there, too. And then I went into the State Library, Victoria State Library, and I sat there and just for a rest and took a book off the shelf and read that book, which I will talk about in one of our stories a little bit later. And then I also was able to meet up with Paul Cropper, one of our former guests on the show. We talked about the the fish fall and full shear. I met up with him and his wife and we went to Katoomba, which is in the Blue Mountains. And we got snowed on. (laughs) I never got around to going to the Blue Mountains when we were there. Because the the, the day we had planned to go there, it was just very foggy and very cloudy. Mm. So it was like, well, you're not really going to see much. Yeah, because it's like a big canyon. Yeah. And so we – and that was our last day. So we – didn't get to go there, unfortunately. Uh, it was very beautiful. Very beautiful. I'm glad we went. It was windy. There was lots of tourists. Uh, the town was lovely. We stopped for lunch, but we also got to see some of the geology there, and that was cool. We didn't see any yaoi's. That was our goal, seeing yaoi's. But it did give me an idea of what their forests look like compared to ours back in the eastern United States. And And – you know, your forests also are mostly probably pines and coniferous trees there. But but for yeah. for, for us in, in, in Pennsylvania, where Bigfoot is regularly reported, we have not only shrubbery, but we also have a lot of trees where these trees were more spread out and they looked very different than what I was used to. So I was glad to actually get there and get the impression of the land where people see Yowies and and black cats. They report these these black cats. Um, Yowies also are are seen, you know, in the outback even where there aren't any trees. I don't think, but um, so it was definitely good to to immerse myself in that. And then I gave a talk uh, about spooky geology at the Victorian Skeptics, thanks to Chris Guest who invited me and made my arrangements to get to Melbourne. That was a big crowd, and. Uh, it, it was a good talk. I had a lot of fun, met a lot of great people, and everyone seemed to enjoy it. So, yeah, I did a lot while I was there. Um, and then on the way back, I uh, got on the plane in Sydney. I had to go back to Sydney from Melbourne. In Sydney to go back to Vancouver. And we got on the plane and there was a delay on the plane. They said they had to arrange maintenance and it was 45 minutes. Then it was another half an hour. Then it was another 15 minutes. Then it was another 45 minutes. Three hours later, they canceled the flight and we had to get off. <laughs> so you're all sealed up for a 14 hour flight, right? <laughs> 
And you had to sit three hours with screaming kids and toddlers and people really upset and, you know, flight attendants trying to make the best of it and the captain just trying to keep you calm and informed. And it was such a... I can't even describe the feeling, you know, of like you're all set to go home. I really wanted to come home. And then you had to get off the plane, get your luggage. They shuttled you to a hotel. It was a very nice hotel. It was an extremely nice room I had. I had like a suite, a two-bedroom suite. And I said, F this. I'm drinking the wine. And I opened up the wine that's sitting there on the countertop. sit on on the deck and say I'm just going to try to make the best of this because I'm stuck in Sydney for another night and I couldn't do anything because I was like on the outskirts of Sydney so I watched you got so drunk you missed your flight the next day (laughs) actually what I did was I drank a glass of wine then I went down and I had dinner they paid for our dinners as well came back up had a couple more glasses of wine sat on the on the balcony watched the planes come in because it's quite close to the airport and then I watched like two episodes of the old In Search Of, <laughs> just to take my mind off, you know, stuff. And uh, yeah, they, they shuttled us to the airport the next morning and we had to wait in a long line to register again. We had to wait in customs line. We had to wait in a security line and it was a pain, but it wasn't as bad for me as it was for other people who had small children or who had like huge packages to try and carry along with them. And I didn't have to rush back for any reason. It was the weekend anyway. So uh, when we left Sydney, it was like noon. And so I'd already seen the sunrise that morning. It was a beautiful sunrise on the, um, the terrace said goodbye to the city, hopefully. <laughs> I was hoping I was finally going to say goodbye. Saw the sunrise, got on the plane. The plane went into the rest of the day in the direction it was going. It sort of ran out the daylight really, really quick. Then you cross the international dateline. And then about four hours out of Vancouver, something like that, I saw the sunrise again outside the plane. And it was the summer solstice. So I saw the sunrise twice on Friday. <laughs> June 22nd. Not many people can say that, except for everybody on the plane. But <laughs> it was an experience. <laughs> I Usually when I travel to Australia, I travel through Asia. So I... You go on the other I only, way. I, yeah. So I, I've, I've only uh, crossed the international date line in transit once when I flew from Malaysia to LA. But I did not see Tucson... Mm. Yeah, you have to time. I, I left. I left like in the afternoon, and I arrived in LA in the afternoon or something like that. Yeah, so. it is weird. It is weird to have a that my entire day from the time I got up to the time I went to sleep on Friday was thirty three hours long. So you didn't really miss a day in that sense. In that sense, right? But I, I did end you up. Left, you left on the twenty second, and you arrived on the twenty second. Yeah, that's what happens. I lose the I lose the day when I go. I left on a Tuesday and didn't get there till Thursday, even though I traveled twenty seven hours or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Coming back, I, I I gained that back. I remember looking out of the plane and thinking, "Can I see the curvature of the Earth?" <laughs> <laughs> And I couldn't because I didn't have a good view. I wasn't really, I, I didn't have a window seat. Um, and, and, and that's, I don't know, that's kind of subjective, I guess, as well. But 
I did track my flight on the little monitor. You could see where you're going, see where what you're over, and you're over nothing. There's nothing in the Pacific. We did fly over Hawaii, but not the the currently fun parts of Hawaii that were lit up with volcanoes. So over the northern part, you couldn't see anything. Flew over a couple of really tiny atolls. But would you have been able to see that from that height anyway? I bet you could see a little bit of light. I bet you could. Because it's yeah, okay. so bright. And and the trail of lava right now is quite long. But I, we, we that's a very hit or miss because it's pretty small, uh, you know, area you would have to fly over. But anyway, I didn't see that. Uh, so it was clear that I was flying over the ocean for a very, 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 very long time with nothing until you hit Sydney's. Something. You hit like Brisbane first. But it's yeah, but, pretty close. Uh, the Pacific is pretty freaking big. Yes, it's very big. It's annoyingly huge. Um, but I'm pretty sure that I actually did fly halfway across the world into the other hemisphere because I could tell by the sun, the sun looked weird. It was much lower. It was like October there. <laughs> the leaves were changing. Um, it was another world. It felt very different to me. So I'm, I'm, I absolutely stake my life on the fact that I actually flew to Australia. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there are people who say that Australia does not exist. Right. This is similar to the Finland does not exist theory. It's even weirder, but I don't, I didn't think the Finland didn't exist idea. It, that wasn't promulgated by flat earthers. No, but just the theory that Finland doesn't exist is also a ludicrous claim yes, to make. Yes, exactly. Ludicrous. Yeah. At the core, it is a ludicrous, ludicrous claim to make that everybody is in on hiding an entire country. In this case, it's an entire uh, continent and uh, a, a really, really big piece of land and lots of people on it and beautiful cities. And they say that uh, it's a conspiracy. The... The pilots are actually flying us. They're into. They're in on it too. They're flying us to South America. All the so-called Australians are actors, and the places are CGI. Or like they're they're actors or uh, uh, AIs. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when I lived in Australia, I did sometimes feel that there were some glitches <laughs> in the matrix. Oh, really? <laughs> Because they're so nice and just like, no worries. And yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, that's true. They're, they're so nice. They're, they're so they're nice. human. No, they were definitely human. I, I did see some malfunctioning humans there. Like you do everywhere. You, you'll see the, the people who are just not, you know, on, on board with the rest of us. And there were homeless people and people who were clearly in need of some help, but not that many. Uh, and, and everybody went about their daily business. So they did a mighty fine job of looking normal to me. Uh, but no, that's clearly absurd. It's, it's like, it's like buffoonery. I mean, it's just so absurd that somebody would say that you're just not a functionally reasonable person. If you actually believe that that's true, there's something pathological about your, um, uh, the way that you see the world. If that's you, if, if you actually believe that this is, this is the truth that somebody that the earth is not only that the earth is flat, but that Australia doesn't exist. That's even a step beyond flat earth to me. Yeah. But uh, this theory that Australia doesn't exist, this is 
I haven't heard about this one before. I've heard the Finland one before because uh, of an uh, episode of Skeptoid. Right. But uh, I have not heard this Australia doesn't exist theory. It, like, is this fairly new? Apparently it started like on Reddit where all bad things start. <laughs> <laughs> on Reddit, of course. Back in 2017. Uh, it, oh, so last year. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. But you don't know if stuff on Reddit is real. You know, I mean, are people really just doing this for a gag? And for sure, there are people who are promoting the flat earth idea as a gag. But sure. there really are some people who buy into complete and utter absurdities. So so apparently that's where it started. And then Google this this week, I, I don't know if it was this week or when the story came out, that they were actually trolling flat earthers. Did you see this? It's about a month old actually is it that, okay so that, that google uh google is trolling flat earthers it's about a month old so if you put in i'm a flat earther it translates in french to i'm a crazy person right now supposedly well, that's which been is fixed. true it's true it is true they're not exactly lying but apparently it's been fixed so if you do it now it probably doesn't work uh, yeah, what, what what do you do with stuff like that? I, I don't even know. I just kind of wish the news wouldn't even report it at all. But, you know, the Internet's big. Somebody reports it. If if these people who are propagating this outlandish theory that Australia doesn't exist, something like 20 million people that live in Australia. So, like, you need to, like, get all those 20 million people in on it and all the governments in the world. Yeah, it's not you're feasible. Talking, you're, yeah. So you're talking tens of millions of people. Like, that is even more ludicrous than the uh, fake moon landing. Mm -hmm. It would be they, the world's they, biggest hoax. It would be. Yeah, because, like, the, the fake moon landing thing, yeah, okay, you only need, like, maybe a few thousand people to get in on that, basically the people who work at NASA. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like, an entire continent, that's... <laughs> It's kind That's of my a lot of people that you have to pay off. It's kind of my rule of thumb that Who's if funding this? Yeah, if you have more than like 20 people that are trying to keep a massive secret, that's about the limit. So, sure, there's top secret stuff in the military and the government. People know these secrets and there's you know, there's mafia people or or organized crime all over the world. People are keeping secrets, they're keeping quiet. But people spill their secrets and they can't hold their tongue. So it just is not possible. It is impossible for thousands of people to be in on some conspiracy. That That's that's a fact, Jack. That's what I say. Was it the person who wrote this on Reddit about Australia doesn't exist also said that gravity doesn't exist? Was that the same person? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's probably more than one person that says that. How can you not believe in gravity? It's like all around us all the time. Well, that's probably why. Maybe it's just like so obvious that you don't even think about it. So it's easy to deny. It's almost like a given. And it's we just don't think about it. We take it for granted. So it's easy to just brush off. It's It reminds me of... You know, if you take this to a, a, a different place, it's like the people who who don't believe vaccines are, are, are uh, effective because they've never seen the the illnesses. Right. They've never seen the problem. So they don't understand what's keeping it 
not a problem. And in this case, you don't see gravity and you've taken it for granted. So you don't understand that it's all around us and that's what keeps us on the planet. I don't know. It's just gravity is a tough gravity is actually a hard thing to explain. We can't really explain it very well, but we can explain Australia pretty well. But can we actually like really thoroughly explain how exactly gravity works? Because I read, I remember readings that were like, yeah, we know what gravity is, but we still don't really fully understand how it works. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, you're dealing with things on on a a quantum level and a very mathematical level, and we're not really sure what the forces are going on there and how they work. So, I mean, gravity is all meshed in with space and time and all sorts of weird things. Um, and uh, we'll get to a story about gravity and time at the very end of this episode. So let's, let's, let's circle on back to that at the end, but, um, foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> good. We pretty much have, have established Australia definitely exists. What does not exist, uh, in, in the Australia area is the Tasmanian tiger. I, I told you I stopped at the Victorian Library, State Library of Victoria, beautiful building, needed a rest, uh, had some time to kill. So I walked in there and I picked a book off the shelf and uh, the book was called uh, Tasmanian Tiger, Precious Little Remains by Maynard and Gordon. And it was kind of a small book and it was full of pictures. And I sat down, I started reading it and it was fascinating. And I read the whole book. <laughs> I was sitting there for two hours. And it gave me a lot of information. I even took notes out of it. And when I got back, I noticed an article in the New Yorker. Uh, actually, it's the New Yorker that's going to come out in print uh, this coming weekend. But it was out on the Internet ahead of time by Brooke Jarvis about um, the obsessive search for the Tasmanian tiger. And we've talked about the Tasmanian tiger on Doubtful News before. Numerous times. Yeah. Because people still claim to see uh, Tasmanian tiger, thylacine, it's, it's called, in Tasmania, where it was native until the 1930s, where it was, the last one was caught, last one was shot. There, there were uh, still a few in captivity until a little bit later, right? Not, not long after, right. They're, they weren't good in captivity, uh, they... And they weren't well taken care of, I should say. The last animal was confirmed dead in the wild in the 1930s. After that, they never found any evidence that they were existing. But people still think that they're there in Tasmania. And that they remain convinced that the, the animals are still out there. So you're talking about decades of not finding the actual animal. And Tasmania is not a big island. No. And... They do not exist on the mainland Australia. That's even thousands of years longer since they existed on the mainland of Australia. People still say that they see them there. But it's basically impossible that such a small number of animals that may have continued to exist after the 1930s could have continued to breed and sustain the species. You need a certain amount of animals and genetic diversity to be able to sustain the species. The reason why the species failed and was exterminated was because they couldn't adapt. 
Um, they were they were very limited in in adapting, and the fact that they lived on such a small island, and people came and shot them. Yeah, because that's the main reason to why they went extinct. It's because of people, farmers, shot them because they were attacking their livestock. Yes, but they were only on Tasmania because they were not adaptable as a species. You got to think of how small an area they actually covered was just Tasmania. They were doomed actually from the beginning because you really can't sustain a population on such a small island like that. Normally they would have been in other places as well, but they were already suffering from that lack of diversity and lack of adaptability. And then they, they had the whammy was just the people coming in and, and killing them all off. They would have lasted for much, much longer for sure. Yeah. So it's um, the evidence that they continue to exist in the wild uh, is extremely poor. Basically it's just a few anecdotal claims and some very grainy footage. Oh, terrible. And even faked footage, faked photos where people have put cardboard cutouts in the, oh. the greenery and taking pictures of them. I mean, really lame hoaxes. But there's been a couple attempts to do expeditions and, and set camera traps and, and go out and try to find evidence. All have failed. But what, what was great about this article was to show that how powerful a symbol uh, the, the thylacine has become in Tasmania of not only the power we have to exterminate a species – and we've done that many times. Um, you know, we've had we've exterminated species that have been just overrunning our parts of our planet. We've we've basically exter we've exterminated the passenger pigeon. We almost exterminated the American bison, and they were all over the place. Uh, the the dodo birds were were easy pickings and things like that. Wasn't wasn't the the giant turtle tortoise was that also extinct? Uh, the Galapagos tortoise was also yeah. an easy pick, but we managed to not kill them all. They some still do exist. Oh, yeah. I thought that was extinct too. No. Okay. Uh, plenty, plenty of things are extinct. It's pretty sad. So we have to come to terms with the fact that we've actually played quite a big role in the fact of exterminating several species, and it's it's hard to. To comprehend that, it's hard, hard to, to feel good about that. So I think people want the thylacine to still exist because it's the hope that we haven't completely exterminated a species from the planet. Uh, the, the article goes goes on with people who are convinced that they still see thylacines or they've seen them relatively recently. But the true experts, and that's TRU, Thylacine Research Unit, they uh, looked at uh, the various... Uh, evidence that's come through and they they're not convinced that any of these pictures or or evidence is, is actually showing that the thylacine is actually there so they they say that they're they're sort of heretics they're they're interested in the thylacine but they don't believe that it actually still exists and i thought this was a, an interesting uh view that they started to take uh, uh bill flowers one of the group's members he says that when he began investigating thylacine sightings, he also started to learn about false memories, false confessions, and the psychology of perception. And this is something that comes up. It's really important in cryptozoology. And and the thylacine is kind of considered a cryptid because people say it's out there, but it probably doesn't exist out there. 
Well, but at least it did at one point actually exist. True. So it, it sounds like a very much more plausible cryptid than most of them, like like Bigfoot, because we never know that there's no evidence that Bigfoot ever anything like a Bigfoot ever did exist. People say the Gigantopithecus, but that's not that's not really the same. Um, but yeah, the thylacine, we have evidence that it actually did exist. We have moving pictures. We have actual still pictures. We have skeletons. We have skins. We have even a um, embryo and some DNA. So we know that that existed, but, but this group, I thought it was interesting that they're actually realizing the alternative explanations to people saying that they see this cryptid. So, uh, this is, this is important. If you're actually going to be objective about cryptozoology, you need to learn how people can easily fool themselves. (laughs) So, uh, you know, Tasmania, it's, it's an exotic place. It, it feels like it should hold some mystery animals there. And, and actually, when the first white man came and they saw the thylacine and they saw the Tasmanian devil, they're like, these are weird animals. This is a weird place. So I think it still holds that, that mystique. Like how the first white people who came to Australia and saw the platypus. Oh, right. thought to, <laughs> that right? isn't real. <laughs> this is obviously a hoax. <laughs> that, that was, yeah, that's an amazing animal. But the funny part I, I I found about the the thylacine was how how from how much it sounded like the chupacabra they portrayed it back in the old days as this menace right it was it was stealing their sheep it was sucking their blood it was killing all their livestock you know it was it was a ruthless horrible monster so we have to shoot it <laughs> uh, but yeah so. Uh, Sad story. I, I kind of got depressed after reading that book, but it's an important lesson to to hear, to learn that how easily we can take that out. The whole uh, New Yorker article is pretty depressing, too. It is. After a while, it started going into other species and like how uh, in, in Tasmania that they uh, they basically also committed genocide right. to the Tasmanian aboriginals. Yes, yes. They pretty much wiped them out of existence, even if they didn't, even if some of the people managed to, um, you know, survive and and, and, and uh, couple up with other, other people and have children, that the lineage still survives somewhere there. Um, people are more adaptable than the animals. We do have a story about a thing that, does exist but people made wild speculations about it being a thing that didn't exist (laughs) are you following (laughs) so yeah an an update to a story that we uh talked about in the last episode right yeah they found this interesting creature in montana it was shot by a hunter and he said it's uh, as a weird looking wolf and the pictures, I guess, were strange enough for people to say that it wasn't a wolf. It was a dogman. It was a werewolf. It was some mutant. It was something strange. The dire wolf was also oh, right. one the of the theories. Wolf. Yes, yes. Well, there is an update to the story. They did the DNS, DNA testing on this animal. They had sent it to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Lab in Montana and did the DNA testing. They compared the DNA of this animal with thousands of other DNA samples from wolves, coyotes, and dogs. And the answer is? This animal was a gray wolf. 
from the northern Rocky Mountains. They were able to even trace its location because they know the genetics of the different wolf packs that are around in the U.S. and Canada. The story that came out, I got this directly from the the government site, uh, from the people who actually did the results. They they said the photos may have been deceptive, that they, they may have lent people to believe that it was something weirder than it was. But when they saw it, they're like, yeah, it's a wolf. This doesn't look very weird. That the, the variations in uh, across the species, the wolf, uh, this particular type of gray wolf, um, of wolf, the gray wolf, has variation. It could have long fur. It could have different size paws and ears and, and muzzles, different look to it. Uh, that's not unusual. That's normal. There is variation within these these uh the species. Um, and of course, the species can interbreed with other species as well. So with, with the dogs have a tendency to be rather interbred. The coyotes can breed with the wolves, the foxes and, and things like that. So domestic dogs gets a little fuzzy. So the dogs have this built in uh, range of, of, of looks to them. They're, they have some variability. So uh, there's about 900 wolves, they said, in Montana. There's one less now. One down, 899 to go. Sad. Yeah, we don't need to be killing the wolves. But I know people would disagree because wolves are a predator and they can take a toll on livestock and they may eventually pose a threat to people. I know you're dealing with that in Norway, uh, correct? Well, we have wolves, but it hasn't attacked a human being here for over a century. Mm. But uh, the wolves we thought were gone, and basically that they uh, went over the border to Sweden. And then in the last 20 years, maybe, it started coming back. Hmm. That's a sign of a healthy ecosystem, though, I think. So we we do have a lot of people in, in Norway who, you know, wants to like the people who want the wolves to oh we need to let them live and blah 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 and then you have the people who want to get rid of the wolves again because it's killing their sheep, mm-hmm. killing their livestock or uh you know oh you know they can pose a threat to humans and kids. Sure. There hasn't been a reported case of a wolf attacking a human. In Norway for over a century. Hmm. The wolf population in Norway is not anywhere near as big as it is in, in the U.S., hmm. of course. Yeah. Well, we have them coming down from Canada and Alaska. So, yeah. So, yeah, wolves in Montana, they do exist. Wolf men do not. Because <laughs> there were a lot of people who made wild claims about this wolf. And I'm curious if they will actually believe this the result yeah Yeah. one thing will they believe it or and uh the mystery mongering people will they even bother seeking out the story right because it's already out there as something mysterious and that's what they remember yeah i was afraid of that too i have a feeling that the conspiracy theories about this wolf is not going to go completely away yeah It's, it's going to be remembered as this mystery animal. Yeah, quite possibly. It'll the the photo will still appear years from now. Mystery animal from Montana. Oh yeah, yeah I remember that. And nobody remembered that. Yeah, it's a wolf. It's just a wolf. Just a plain old normal wolf. <laughs> 
something special. Yeah, we really lost touch with nature these days, I think. Time will tell if that's the case. Are you trying to make a transition? Yes. Let's kill the time Let's talk about a supposed time warp, shall we? It's just a jump to the left. Yeah. This is more of a step to the right. But <laughs> so I saw this story. It, it came up in Group of Fort, our go-to place on Facebook to post weird stories. Um, and I recognized the person who is making this claim. Oh, you, you, oh, you, yes. you know this guy. You oh, know yes, I do. Yes, I do. He's he's normally uh, in the, the Carolina area. That's that's I think where he was stationed. But for some reason, he's out in Las Vegas. He's out in the Nevada desert, measuring the rate of time all over southern Nevada. I don't know why. Maybe his clock is broken. He he says he's got this this instrument. That measures the rate of time, some sort of meter that measures the rate of time. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, measuring the rate of time. So he is not a scientist. I know this for a fact. And he is out there by himself with this gadget, and he's measuring time all over these various locations. And he found an anomaly one time, and he ran to the news station in Las Vegas. He said that he found that time had slowed down in this one location in the desert just north of Las Vegas between I-15 and Route 93. So it's a Joshua Warren. He's a paranormal investigator. He's written some books. He's invented a wishing machine. I'm not going to go into that. You can look it up if you want to because it's, it's just as absurd as it sounds. So I, I remarked on the article that this isn't how science works. Uh, he didn't discover anything. He he came he comes right out and say he discovered this is this is, you know, amazing thing that he's discovered. He has one anomaly, and he he goes to the local news station and report. That's not how science is done. Not even remotely close how science is done. And uh, Celestia Ward, who is the creator of our logo, who also lives in Las Vegas, she also commented on the article saying. He's found a glitch. And then... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The news thinks that's worthy of (laughs) reporting? He says that he measured time, and uh, he measured for the first and only time that that time had been slowed down, like, uh, 20 microseconds. I immediately thought of a story from several years back now with the uh, Large Hadron Collider. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. they, not they, but the media reported it as that they had discovered faster than light travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, These are professionals at the yeah, at, a, at a very high level lab. Yeah, it was basically just a miscalculation. Right, it was like a faulty wire. Yeah, and I'm thinking. So I immediately thought that uh, this guy had a little glitch in his. Gadget, because he says uh, also later in the same article, he, he's going to continue measuring time uh, in this area to see if there's a pattern. Yes, that's when you go to the to the news outlets when there is a recognizable pattern 
No, not even then, because this is not how science is done. Well, at least then it would have been more of a story. Like, hey, that's true. This is, this is, yeah. Time keeps like slowing down 20 microseconds every single time I, and, and you keep doing the thing. Although, if it keeps happening, it's probably just because his little gadget is faulty. Right. <laughs> Once there's an established pattern, at least then it's somewhat. It could have been more interesting. Right. Keyword there is could. Could have been. Because now all we got is one weird reading, apparently, in one place from an untested gadget. And he's making this absurd claim. He, he comes up with some, some explanations, some various explanations of what could be happening. Of course, a black hole could be approaching the Earth. But, you know, that doesn't happen. It could be uh, a gravity anomaly, which does happen. But um, that's a gravity anomaly. It's not. Uh, it's it's a natural gravity anomaly. It's not something that just appears and then disappears. An unknown technology influencing Earth. So he had these extreme explanations, but he ignored the obvious ones <laughs> that he's got a glitch in his his little blinky gadget. But, but he also says that uh, it's uh, interesting. I'm paraphrasing his words here, but it's interesting that this is happening, which it also happens to be one of the more popular UFO hotspots in the country. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's confirmation bias much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Warren wrote a book many years ago, How to Hunt Ghosts. And for, for all the ghost guidebooks, it's probably the best written because most of them are written just by amateurs who can't even write. Uh, this book was published by a major publisher. So it is it had been edited well and it was readable, but it was just loaded with scientifical type stuff where he pretends to know science and contradicts himself uh, in how science works. And he often confused fictional depictions, uh, fictional ideas with real ideas. Like he would base his real idea that he was explaining to you on a fictional concept from a movie or, you know, a popular story. And I noticed this repeatedly that he, he couldn't really talk about this in a, in a, in a realistic way. There was always this drift into this fictional idea about what's going on. I see the same thing here. I mean, he's looking for an anomaly to, in order to bolster his, you know, speculative idea about UFOs or time travel or whatever the heck it is. Uh, and, and Celestia also was, was very annoyed with the local news station for even publishing this. This was not news. This was not something that should have been published. Although, you know, it's a fluff piece. They love to do these things. And it's getting a lot of hits. It's actually now showing up on other syndicated news stations, which is annoying as well. So after I had originally placed that comment on the news station's website, the next morning... I get a Facebook request from Joshua. He remarked how uh, he really liked my comment about his shoddy work. That was basically the, the comment to me. And I said, um, you know, I, I understand people are interested in the paranormal and pursuing inquiring about the paranormal. That's great. Just don't pretend to do, do science. Don't pretend to be a scientist. That's that's unethical. That's not right. And then he replies to both me and to Celestia's comment and to somebody else who criticized him with some sort of rant he made about 
responding to critics. I didn't listen to it. I'm not interested in what he has to say, but he seems he he seems to have sort of like a persecution complex. Uh, Celestia uh, noted that he he doesn't like critics. He doesn't like people criticizing him. Another uh, key to not being a good scientist or not doing science is that you can't accept valid criticism. And we absolutely have valid criticism in this case. This is not the way you do make discoveries. This is not how you validate any uh, anomalies or, or figure out what's going on by one one measurement with a untested gadget and run to your local news. So if you're going to make some absurd claim like that, you better be prepared to deal with the criticism because you're going to get a lot of it. She's really doing this with the attention anyway. Oh, yes. Yes. This, so, this is totally a publicity gimmick as far as I can tell. Well, Lauren Breval, really, that it's kind of weird that he gets annoyed with the criticisms. Because if you're all you're looking for is attention, you really don't care if people are criticizing you for it because you've already gotten the attention. Yeah, you'd think that. But I think that people with like a really large ego are, are super sensitive to criticism. I mean, look at our president. Um, he can't take any criticism whatsoever. And he's got a tremendously huge ego because he doesn't think he doesn't understand why everybody doesn't agree with him because he's right. But I've, I've seen this in other occasions. There have been people in, in the there's one guy in the ghost hunting community who who claimed to be a like a, a military hero. He you know, he, he was seriously caught with the whole stolen valor thing. He was claiming things in, in military service that he actually never did. And when called out on that, factually, you were not uh, – you did not do this. You were not in this battle. You did not do these things. He brushed it right off. He's like, you people are idiots. You're horrible. I'm going to come and shoot you. You know, he, he made threats like that. It didn't matter that he was called out for being a liar. Um, he still – his ego just just carried him along and he was – didn't – it justified his, his complete and utter absurdity. So, you know, we – there's a lot of examples of that around today. Uh, you know, Warren isn't nearly as extreme as that. Uh, I, I, I would not say that he's he's nearly extreme as that. But I think that he has certain beliefs and he thinks he's right. And there's no there's no arguing about that. What the, the one thing I did I did notice, which the, to, to roll back to the Australia thing. You know, I was invited to a paranormal con- convention in Australia, and the people that I met there who were paranormal believers were so interested in asking me questions and having a constructive dialogue. Um, we don't see eye to eye on these things, but we can be very civil and cordial and collegial with each other and learn from each other. Um, and when I came out and said, I don't believe that. I, I, this is not something that I subscribe to. Okay, um, I understand. Let's you know talk about something else. We, we find common ground. And it was all cool. Um, if you can't have that sort of dialogue, and I don't think that I was being uh, harsh with Warren on, on responding to that article when I did. I wasn't being harsh. I was saying, I don't see that you found anything. You were not the only one that criticized him uh, from uh, reading the comments. Right. right. It wasn't just you and Shalisha. There were other people in the comments too who mm-hmm. are criticizing name yeah you're gonna have that percentage yeah <laughs> you're gonna have that percentage of people on comments who are just there to entertain themselves with their 
bad language. The bottom line is if you're going to put out a claim like that, if you're going to pretend to do science, you better be prepared to get the criticism because some of us are not going to stand for it. And I'm not going to stand for it. So I, I opened my big mouth and I had to deal with the fallout too. I had to deal with, you know, people telling me that I'm, I'm an idiot, but that's okay. I don't have an ego to be bruised. <laughs> Just to close up uh, today's episode with one quick update. Uh, last episode, we did talk about the mysterious explosions that were going on in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, just this past few days, they have arrested a suspect, David Sermon Jr., a 30-year-old from Milford Township in Bucks County. He is facing a number of charges, including possession of a weapon of mass destruction, because when they raided his business, Consolidated Chemicals and Solvents, in, in the area, they found that he had created a quite large bomb and had joked about blowing people up. So... Uh, he was also charged with possession of an instrument of crime and drug offenses for the alleged possession of methamphetamine. So good news for the people of Milford Township and Upper Bucks County that they no longer have to worry about these giant booms, let alone bombs being laid around town for people to run over. It was a pretty scary situation. They have this guy in custody. He seems to be a, a, a you know a bit of a bad guy, but uh, that that. The booms have ceased, thank goodness, in Pennsylvania. So, well, that's good. That is good news. We can end on some good news. Although he built a bomb, but whatever, but, <laughs> it didn't well, go off. He built a bomb, but, but at least he did get to use it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I guess that was a good ending to the story. <laughs> could have been worse. So yeah, that's all we have. It could have been a lot worse. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we didn't end with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the end of the show though. Fifteen Credibility Street is a production of doubtfulnews.com. That's Torko Udegaard and me, Sharon Hill. Follow us on Twitter at Doubtful News. Contact us via email at credibilitypodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on the post for any particular episode. Thanks for listening. Please come back again.